time you've got to be a horse to, to play. When you hear your anthem, get on the stand, please. Enjoy us. Enjoy us. Come enjoy us. Enjoy
today. There are deacon meetings. We'll be over there in the, the church office to meet after the service. Youth, we've got a, a hayride and bonfire next week at 5 o'clock out at the Hudson Farm. And uh, right now we've got about 12 that have signed up. So if you're, if you're interested in coming down, you need to let us know because we have no food to get and everything. Uh, Roy Group, you're going to Boyette on Tuesday. And uh, you're going to leave at 4 p.m. You need to bring $15 and check with your betting player to make sure that you are smart enough. Um, also, the Boyer, we've got a few more things here. The uh, Bellevue Senior Group Retreat, you need to meet with your betting player, but that, that's already passed. But it's $25. We'd love to leave at 1130 on December the 9th, and we'll go in dinner after the, the Senior Group Retreat. And then there's another group going uh, on March 9th, going to D.C. and D.C., so we collected shoe boxes today because they packed them all this week. I know that the uh, trail light packed on Thursday and the kids packed some on Wednesday. And so there were a total, by my count, it may be more than this, but by my count, 144 shoe boxes. So give our kids a hand on that. They go to areas where kids don't get anything for Christmas. But in the shoe boxes, there's also a presentation of the gospel in their language. And so they're they're not just getting a gift, they're they're getting what the true meaning of Christmas is, that it's all about Jesus and, and his sacrifice for us. And uh, as we bless you this morning, uh, I'm going to ask Lydia if she will pray for us as the shoe boxes.
person who's come up knowing him. And it's and just been uh, the guys we don't play, they play. We're going to tell you read one other one. They find somebody, find, find about five or six people that come to class and come here today. And uh, it's a good day to be in the house of prayer because they play. Let's stand together and read each other. Thank you. 
You were here when I preached last year, recognized that in the text, the big time, said last time, and picking up at the end of that text, Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 20. While you're finding that, let me just share with you what I said in connection that I think a lot of distinctions are there. When you recognize that there is progression, I think it's a lot of it where I think God left us. I don't think I've ever been in one in which I've been honored to make a difference. Thank you for the road. And I can't wait for those kids to get home and see these uh, loads of people and congratulations from the congregation. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he prayed like Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like skin, and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples of Damascus. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. During seminary days, I went to the Holy Land, one of the places that we visited was the Isle of Patmos. You recall the Isle of Patmos is where John was exiled and eventually died. While there, God gave him the book of Revelation that you and I know is not the book of Well, Corinth and being Corinth on that the little place there in a casket containing the supposedly body of John the Revelator. This casket is unusual. The part, top part over the skull is glass. You can see the skull, and in this glass they put the cutout portion that people are invited to come and lean down and kiss the skull of the supposedly John. One of our Baptist elders did in fact do that tonight. And after doing that, he looked at me and said, I just want to cover all my bases. Let me ask you, is salvation us covering all of our bases? Or is it something else? If that's true, then Bill is in trouble. I read a story that I have adapted a couple weeks ago already, adapted it for this message. It goes like this. Little Billy loves Little League Baseball, and he's good at it. And he proves it when he steps up to the plate, and he takes the first two pitches as balls, but the third one is the one he's been looking for, and the crack of the bat shows that the ball goes just inside first base line, hits midfield, and rolls to the right corner. Little Billy, you would imagine is going to go flying toward first base, but rather he turns and jogs to third base. When he gets there, the coach says to him, Billy, you really hit that ball well, didn't you? He said, I sure did, coach. He said, I just have one question for you. 
Why did you come to third base rather than on the bases? Then Billy said, of course, everybody knows how that right field chases that ball down, throws it to cut off bed, cut off bed, throws it to third base. I would have a standard triple so I could see the right field. The guy who doesn't have a fourth ball in his body has six to pick. And he's recovering the bases for the benefit of God. Well, I got good news for you today. Attempting to cover your bases is worse than the blessed blood. For by grace are we saved. It is the gift of God. So if we don't have to cover our bases, how can we come to God? The evidence in our heart and our life is all that we know. Jesus died for our sins. I could ask this lady and most of us to do it. You see that little smoke in the shadows, you will be proud of being a Christian. Is there here enough evidence to prove it to you? My text this morning has enough evidence to convince anyone of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And I don't do something I've never done before. I'm going to give the invitation now and invite later by Mr. Cotton to respond to the invitation. But the reason I want to do this, I want you to think, I want you to ponder on it. Evidence of salvation. See my title, Salvation, Compelling Evidence. First of all, I want to ask you, has there been that time in your life that you owned up to your sin? You confessed that sin. You were willing to turn from that sin, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for you, arose again, is the right hand of the Father, coming again one day to take his church to him. Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life? If not, I want you to look at the evidence this morning, and I pray the Holy Spirit of God would move in your heart and your life to convince you that Jesus Christ died for you. Let's just do this together those of us who are born again at the invitation time, I want to ask you this. Are you in need compelling evidence that Jesus Christ is your Lord? If so, I want you to celebrate. I want you to rejoice in Jesus Christ. I want you to say this in the bottom of your heart. That if there's some area in your heart and your life you need to say, preacher, I'm a little negligent in this area. I'm going to ask you to the power of the Holy Spirit that you might come to this altar this morning and say, God, I want you to sign in this area of my life. And would you give me the grace and mercy to pray for you? Whatever it might be, you need to talk to me now as we give that invitation in prayer. With that in mind, the text this morning. What is the compelling evidence that I find in this text? We'll look at it at verse 17 again. Ananias went his way into the house and laid his head on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared in your room today has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first evidence of salvation in anyone's life is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit come and go as God desired. And you know that as Jesus is going toward heaven, he said to his disciples, I need you to stay here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when it does, you can do all things. You'll go to the end of the earth for me as my witness. And we know at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came down upon the church. And those who were born after Pentecost, born again by the grace of God, have the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their life. The Holy Spirit is not an if. 
The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of God. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit of God. It means that the Holy Spirit comes in and fills our hearts and our lives. Now, like me, you'll leak back from time to time, and I have to give more of myself unto the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the replacement of Jesus Christ that you and I might have the power as His church, as His people, to do all that God has called us to do. And there's one other thing about the Holy Spirit that I love. This old term, once saved, always saved. We see in more of our Baptist people in hell than I believe we are looking at the last days in the last days. But I believe it is very true to believe it because it wasn't coming back to the moment. But this old once saved, always saved is too often used by someone who walked the aisle, who didn't want to go to heaven. They just want to go to heaven. We could go right back there with the children and ask any one of them, do you love Jesus? And they say, yes, I love Jesus. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes, I want to go to heaven. And there are too many people that come down, take the preacher by the hand, fill out the cart. They may even break the waters of baptism, but they have never repented of their sin, and they just want to go to heaven. And while they're on the road to hell, they just say, well, I've been saved once. I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to live like I want to. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.13, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. If nothing old in your life passed away, you're still on the road to hell today. Here we must understand that it's the Holy Spirit coming into our heart and life. And we need that. We do have the assurance of our salvation. When He comes, He is going to take us and going to empower us he is the, the earnest of our inheritance. You and I know that you go out and buy a car for house, and you put out earnest money for it, you back out, you forfeit that earnest money. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a promise. He will keep His promise. You and I will swap along the way from it. He will keep His promise. And as He keeps His promise, you and I can know that He cannot forfeit the Holy Spirit. If He could forfeit the Holy Spirit, He would not be God. Your assurance of salvation is not in your tongue or your bosom. It is in the fact that God sent one of the Lord. He gave His Son and gave us the Holy Spirit as hope. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who it is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the perfect possession to the praise of His glory. That is the earnest of His inheritance. It's the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live the victorious life for all eternity. And to know that our place in heaven is assured through the work of Jesus Christ. The second compelling evidence is the desire to be baptized. Look at verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once, and the clothes There are those who would teach that baptism is essential to salvation. I think it's essential to our Christian life. But here it says clearly that it's not essential to our salvation. If it were essential to our salvation, Saul would have had to be baptized before he received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this morning, about the Great Commission, we all to go to faith. Baptism is for the weak, the picture. He preached the good part of that and helped me to define it this morning. It is the death, burial, and resurrection that you and I are witnessing. And that's why he died to the fullness of the fact that we must go down into the water 
and do not fail to do not speak up. Because those who are not pictures of us dying to come through our own life and raising up in the goodness of life. Baptism does not say, but it is a picture. All of you got saved as you know that. If you could take a picture of it, there on your phone is a picture of the preacher, and he's not the preacher. The preacher is not here. All you have is a picture. Your baptism is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done in your heart and life. Now, it is essential that you make this picture. It is your first liquor. It is your first commandment. And we are not slack on that. We just might be able to get around to it, or maybe we won't even do it. In the New Testament, baptism was always a deal. And in those days, all of the houses were large lakes. They, they, they weren't big cities like we have. And so there was always a body of water. But today things are different. When I was, when I was saved at nine years of age in Mississippi, I was baptized in a trap house. Let me ask you, have you seen a trap house? Just a about it. When you were a child, you had a trap house. If, if you call a cave by the water, I've seen them get changed. But most of the time, what did we do? We baptized that little creek somewhere. And what did we have to do? Wait, wait, it's spring time. Well, when they freeze over, you sit and then shake it to get it back in its place. Now listen, it doesn't matter where how far the deal the picture is being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how you feel or how the fellows feel or the fellows love it. Then the third component of that is the desire for fellowship. Look at verse 19. For when he received food, he was strengthened with salt, said, Some days with the disciples of the master. Now look at that. You remember from my last lesson about tradition and tradition that Paul was here to take these Christians back to Jerusalem and put them in jail for some of them died and they were getting out of the jail. But here they were. Very chief of the assembly, he left fellowship with them. Can I get a testimony of this? Some of you thought the church first started out as a church, but now he made fellowship of them. I got a little bit more of it. Some of them could start fixing their house and their family and stuff and suggest that other people that need to die Trust that you will see that yourself. After this man spent some time in the life of God's grace together with Christian Michael, Reverend Shepherd Shepherd on the other side, and I was able to gather them and talk back to the church. I sat on the back row and held on to the conviction things, and I, I wouldn't go farther, but I promised God I'd keep going. Come Monday morning, I'd ride back down the line. To that day that I turned loose. As I turned loose, I, I got back with a sense that I had to learn the books of the Bible for freedom again. I, 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 I fought every one of those Sunday schools 
such an ingenious thought. But who's going to bear the cross? He and I can't bear the cross. He is our cross. The only true cross. He can be the only one. We can't bear the cross. All of us are going to be the grace of God. We can put on the Christ Christ. And we can put on the Christian. I love the truth of the gospel of salvation. And in so doing, we will be right there with the gospel of the Christian Jesus of God. Do what God has to teach us to do. And most of the gospel is too much I will surrender all. 